0: Hi.
1: Hi, how are you? What's you doing? I'm looking up the history of sanatoriums.
0: Sanatoriums?
1: Yeah, because I wanted to know where the movement started for sanatoriums, you know, because they weren't always a thing, so I decided to look up and see.
0: And now I know. Black Metallica's 1985 masterpiece, Welcome Home sanitarium.
1: Sanatorium. But it's sanitarium. There's a difference.
0: Oh, nice segue.
1: There's a difference between a sanatorium... And a sanitarium.
0: And if you stick with us, we will tell you the difference. Coming up, <laughs> <laughs> All
1: over this
0: broad land of ours. A bit of war is being fought against tuberculosis. Able warriors armed with modern weapons are on the firing line. How goes the battle? Come with me on a journey,
1: and let's see what is being done. This episode of History Told by Idiots is brought to you by Mountain Oasis Crafts and Jewelry, with owner Sheila, who made me the coolest pair of history told by idiots, earrings that I have ever seen with our emu and rabbit logo floating in space. If you would like to have a pair of these for yourself, and I will post a picture, you can find her on Facebook at Mountain Oasis Crafts and Jewelry. So we hope that everybody out there is doing well and staying safe during these trying times with the new strain of COVID floating around. Just to make sure that, yeah, boo COVID. Boo. you heard it here first boo covid but we hope that you are being safe and staying healthy because we care about you just in case you didn't know
0: yeah in case you didn't know this
1: it's been a it's been a minute
0: it's been since a, it's been a while
1: we have released a new episode we've had some crazy interesting sometimes bad mostly good things happen right Josh is elbow deep in schoolwork yep elbow deep in bodies. That's where Josh is. Yeah. Mm,
0: Perhaps should restate that. <laughs> Mortuary school. <laughs>
1: Mortuary school. Between school and work and church work and. Well, the big family thing and,
0: well, the big thing that got us off track was oh, I don't know, maybe because both of us come down with COVID.
1: Yeah, there was that.
0: <laughs> and thank God that neither one of us. I guess we can explain as a mild case
1: yes we did get off fairly easy i was vaccinated so my symptoms are they weren't they were not too bad i had breakthrough covid mostly i just had terrible headaches a lot of fatigue the headache was the biggest part yeah and a lot of congestion and and whatnot but it did not make me short of breath or anything
0: right what they say is true about attacking the worst parts of your body because man oh man i've she literally had to grab me as I got out of bed that that morning because I was about to topple over because my knees and my elbows hurt so bad. You just feel
1: really bad I all was, over your body. Do not recommend. Uh-uh. <laughs> do not recommend. Please, please, we, uh, please don't do it.
0: But we do have some friends, though, that didn't get off so easy.
1: Yeah, sadly.
0: And uh, just remember those that didn't get off so easy. All right, now that we've set Friends
1: the, and family and...
0: Now that we've set the tone for this... Week's episode.
1: Yeah, we didn't mean for it to get so dark and depressing. But when you're <laughs> when you're talking about tuberculosis, when, talking about it, when
0: you're talking about yeah
1: tuberculosis, it's rough. The reason that we decided to land on this topic and tell you about tuberculosis and sanatoriums and all of that. Grand stuff that went along with it, which was really not so grand. We decided to tell you about this because we were fortunate enough to be part of a group that went in to investigate, do a paranormal investigation of Waverly Hills.
0: Mm-hmm. And if you know
1: anything about Josh and, uh, and Tyrell, which... He is uh, he's not here with us for this episode. He did not get to go with us to Waverly Hills, but Josh and I were lucky enough to go with a group of friends and with Spencer County Spooky Squad and doing paranormal investigation of Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Louisville, Kentucky, which is highly regarded as one of the most haunted places
0: in the, in the world. world.
1: Yeah. Definitely it's seen as the most haunted place in the United States. And Of course, we can't just do an episode about this and not tell you our experiences and what happened. But we're going to save all of that for the end because some of you may not like to listen to the ghost investigation stuff. So we'll save it for the end. In the beginning of this, we're just going to tell you a little bit about.
0: I'm sorry. The White Death. Yeah the white the white just keep interrupting me. It's fine. I'm, I'm sorry. One of the cool things is, is that you'll, you'll hear me refer to Waverly as her. The tour guide that we had, is, his nickname was Kool-Aid, and he kept referring to the building as her. And I always referred to the building as saying as if she wants you to see something or if she wants you to hear something. So it kind of stuck. So if you hear us saying her or she or something, that's what we're referring to as the building itself.
1: Because it really does, once you enter, it feels like its own it, it, it's like it, its own entity. It
0: really does. It really does. And nothing that you watch on YouTube or any paranormal documentary or anything like that will do it justice unless you're sitting with it face-to-face. Literally has been a 10-year bucket list during for me and Tessa to, to actually go to Waverly even though we live
1: three yeah. hours away
0: from it. It really is a historical building and a very, very beautiful building a hundred years later.
1: So... What convinced us to go to this place and do an investigation? What was the perfect storm that was TB? How did it come about and cause all of this mass death? If you don't know anything about tuberculosis, it was also referred to as the White Death,
0: the White Plague. Or its more common name, which here in Eastern Kentucky, as part of the rest of the country, it was called Consumption.
1: Consumption. So let us tell you a little bit about consumption and the sanatorium movement that sprang up as a direct result
0: so tuberculosis itself the exact origin of the disease is not really known but archaeologists have discovered the bacteria in bones as far back as three three million years ago some people say almost 10 million years ago as some archaeologists refer to, or some scientists refer to it as possibly the first known disease to mankind because of this. Uh, so, tuberculosis really is the perfect killer because it can never be contained. Because once you're infected with the bacterium, it can slay dormant in your body for more than a decade before symptoms can even be shown. And once you start having those breakthrough syndromes and stuff like that, you're pretty much dead. You're pretty much at the end of your line by that time. Uh, The reason it was called consumption is because once it got to that latent period and once you started showing signs of tuberculosis, you lost a lot of weight. So it literally consumed your body. It literally consumed your mass. I guess is what I guess is what I'm looking for. Found it interesting because I had to study it for it from mortuary school, and how it actually infected the body was that it infects the areas of your body that are very soft tissue and very fluid filled. So like your lungs are a very warm, moist blood filled area of your body bacteria
1: really loves dark wet places dark wet
0: places and your lungs are one of the major spots in your body that's both large warm moist
1: (laughs) the bacteria itself is called mycobacterium tuberculosis Yes,
0: macrobacterium tuberculosis and it is the most easily spread bacterium known to mankind because just us sitting here talking, if I had a disease, Tesla would automatically be infected because it travels through moisture in the air. So the actual particles of, of spit that I'm projecting talking would carry this bacterium to Tesla.
1: They would experience loss of appetite. Um, so even though you were losing weight, you. Wouldn't want
0: to eat. Yeah, this is where the consumption part comes in at. This is why it was called consumption.
1: And uh, fever and chills, not sweats. You'd become extremely tired. You would start coughing, and you would eventually start coughing up blood in most cases, and sometimes parts of tissue from yeah. your lungs.
0: And once once you got to that stage, you was pretty much done for.
1: At this time, yes. In, in the time oh, yeah. in it's which a, tuberculosis time, yes. was rampant across the not just in the united states but across the world oh, the
0: entire world yeah. there were
1: some places that were affected by it worse than others but pretty much if you came into contact with somebody that had it you had a high chance of contracting it
0: it was so dangerous that laws were literally enacted it was like the spanish flu in 1918 which the outbreak in the United States obviously predates that. It spread so wild because of just poor sanitation.
1: It was considered an ailment of the poor because yeah. the rich or wealthy individuals could escape the embarrassment of yeah. the disease by like going off to these fancy health spas. Or, it could spend uh, money
0: to go to could the spend money or something to get away from it. The poor just-
1: continued to suffer. from consumption and pass it on and on. And then when the Industrial Revolution came and people started crowding together in these uh, factories and these urban sort of hubs, you know, in cities and whatnot, it spread like wildfire.
0: You know, our area especially... Because of coal mines and black lung and already having lung diseases and stuff like that. You know, a lot of people, I really don't know the numbers around here in East Kentucky. You don't really don't hear about it much in East Kentucky. Up north in Louisville, it hit extremely hard because of the wetlands.
1: It had flooded.
0: It had flooded and its proximity to it was the... was like
1: one of the big, like the, one of the great floods of Louisville. That... And,
0: and its proximity to the Ohio River. Uh, Just the area itself just stays wet. And not to mention that Louisville was a massive trade hub. You know, if he was coming through with cargo, you know, all those things was carried into this area. Waverly was the result of trying to combat this illness.
1: But the sanatorium movement, as it's called, predates Waverly. Yes. There was a bacteriologist by the name of Robert Koch- and in eighteen eighty two he was sort of looking into the disease and trying to figure out why it was spreading the way that it was, how they could treat it.
0: It was sort of a race, you know, just like everything else, all these major scientists and stuff were in the were in this major race to try to figure out to be the first one to stake their names to this terrible epidemic. Mr. Koch is very interesting.
1: He ended up convincing state and local anti-tuberculosis organizations to encourage the consumptives, the folks with consumption or the plague, whatever you want to call it, the white, white plague, Whatever. tuberculosis. Death. He wanted them to seek medical treatment, and so he tried to persuade the government to create this network of hospitals that would isolate. Like once you contracted TB, you would go isolate yourself in one of these little hospitals. And... That sort of marks the beginning of government-funded campaigns to actually address tuberculosis as a problem. But in 1884, there's a doctor by the name of Edward Trudeau. you know him? Uh-huh. Did you read about him? Uh-huh. He had consumption. He had tuberculosis. He ended up opening the first public tuberculosis sanitarium in Sarnac Lake, New York. It was an open-air cottage. He went into a sort of open-air, outdoor living regime when he had tuberculosis. He had an extended stay in the mountains. He stayed out in the fresh air. He ate healthy. He did horseback riding and walking and reclining, and he believed that it cured him. And so he decided that the best way to treat tuberculosis was obviously to do exactly what he did himself. Mm -hmm. So... The first little open-air cottage was called Little Red, and it was in Saranac Lake, New York. It still stands, and it's adorable. If you look at pictures of it, you want to see it? Mm-hmm. Look at it. Well, it really is adorable. It's an adorable little I'm cottage. I'm glad they've
0: kept it. I'm glad they kept it historical.
1: So it started off these little tiny shacks, and they progressed into these big cottages, and then into these monstrous Mildress. Gothic,
0: monstrous. gothic revival, massive hospitals.
1: Trudeau required his patients to eat several large meals a day, including at least three glasses of milk. Hmm. And he maintained a strict code of personal behavior that prohibited drinking, smoking, and cursing, and he enforced a dress code.
0: Nice. Yeah. So.
1: Nice. And so then that brings us to...
0: Oh, Dr. Koch. Okay. Like what I was going to throw in with Dr. Koch was like the man literally was so obsessed with trying to find the cure for tuberculosis that he actually thought he had, and he even patented what was supposed to be the first tuberculosis treatment. But what he ended up creating was the test for tuberculosis. And if you all recall, even now, when you go into that your young children go to get vaccinated for tuberculosis when they're born and stuff, they'll do a skin test.
1: Yeah, and I've I mean I've had several if you travel like I think that you have to have it pretty often, like up to date. I remember I had one actually not too long ago. It was just something that they had to do. It's
0: like especially when you travel outside the country and whatnot. And basically what he done was is if put this this device on your skin and if it reacted, had a, had like kind of allergic reaction to it, then you were tuberculosis positive, you was TB positive. If it didn't, you're safe. So Dr. Koch did in his race to develop something, did give the world something very helpful. But back to Waverly. Waverly, she was part of, what could I say, three major hospitals around the United States. Waverly was more advanced because of its location and whatnot but we'll get to that here in a few minutes
1: so the actual area known as waverly hill was purchased by major thomas h hayes in 1883 as his homestead schools were a pretty good distance away from their homestead and so hayes decided he was going to establish this little one-room schoolhouse for his children to attend and he hired a teacher by the name of lizzie lee harris Miss Harris had a fondness for the author Walter Scott, and Walter Scott wrote Waverly novels. She received permission to name the schoolhouse the Waverly School, and it kind of stuck, and in return, he named the property Waverly Hill. At the beginning of the 20th century, like Josh said, Louisville, Kentucky, had one of the highest rates of TB deaths in the United States. It was the beginnings of industrialism. It was right off the tail of a great flood. So yeah. pretty much the entire city was living in a floodplain. Like yeah. they were pretty much living in a swamp.
0: Well, yeah, that's that's how, that's how our guy Colane explained it. It was like people was literally living in the swamp.
1: There was no really proper fresh airflow. Louisville's kind of stuck in between river and mountains. It's in the Ohio Valley. So they tried to contain the disease And it wasn't working, so they ended up establishing the Board of Tuberculosis Hospital in 1906. And they started searching for a good location for this tuberculosis hospital that they so desperately needed. And eventually, the Hayes' property, Waverly Hill, was chosen because of its distance from the city. And it had this nice, beautiful tranquil view and part of the regime for curing TB patients was to uh, have them relax and mm-hmm. just enjoy the outdoors yep. and the fresh air and the scenery and its altitude was the highest point in Louisville the airflow was much increased up on yep, the hill Much so. and
0: in the way that it sits it, it'll be the first thing that, it, that the sun hits as it rises
1: So in 1908, they broke ground on what would eventually be called Waverly Hills Sanatorium. It took two years to construct. And at first, it was just like this two-story wooden administration building. And there were these two connected open-air pavilions on either side. Each of those buildings could house 20 male and female patients. And... It cost $25,000 to build,
0: which was a lot at the time. and here's an article that talks about the building of a separate place. It says, in the early part of of 1911, the city of Louisville began to make preparations to build a new Louisville City Hospital, and the hospital commissioners decided in the plans that there would be no provision made in the new city hospital for the admission of pulmonary tuberculosis. And the Board of Tuberculosis Hospital was given $25,000 to erect a hospital for the care of advanced cases of pulmonary tuberculosis.
1: So they didn't want them at the regular hospital? They didn't want
0: them at the regular hospital.
1: The sanatorium officially opened July 26, 1910. Yep. And it continued to spread. I mean, this is very reminiscent of a certain pandemic that's going on right now. But it continued to spread rapidly. And the hospital originally was not built for very many people, and so it was soon at capacity. It was was only
0: built for like 40 to 50 people. people.
1: So they ended up building more buildings, more pavilions, after they did some careful planning because they were just overrun. They started construction on a new five-story brick and concrete sanatorium in March 1924. This design... Now had a capacity of 400 people. So we went from housing 40 people at the max to 400 people. And it opened October 17th, 1926. Here's the cool thing about Waverly.
0: There's multiple cool
1: things. There's multiple cool things. (laughs) But here's, here's something that I found interesting. I mean, obviously it's sad that it had to exist at all because of all the death. Something that I found interesting that we can talk about is that Waverly, once it's like Hotel California... (laughs) <laughs> you can check out anytime you like, but you can never, never leave. leave. Yep. Yeah, when you come in, you stay in. Pretty much, if you worked there, you you lived there. What I'm getting at is that it was a self-contained community. And what does that mean,
0: Josh? Well, it had to be. The earlier days, you know, your family was allowed to come in and visit
1: they did not know. They
0: didn't understand because you got to remember that germ theory was not a thing at this point. I mean, it kind of was. It was in its infancy, but people really didn't fully understand. So it was a self-contained uh, community, and that means that it had its own gardens, it had its own kitchen, had its own pharmacy that compounded its own drugs.
1: They had their own uh, animals, their
0: livestock. Uh, own animals, they livestock. But, they
1: butchered on property. Had
0: its own address. It, at one time, was its own had its own zip code.
1: Had its own postal office. Had its
0: own postal office.
1: Salons,
0: salons, um, uh, all that stuff. Because you of... you
1: name it, it was self contained. So once you came in, you didn't have really a need to leave. To leave, and the staff did not just come in work and then go home
0: they had to there stay was, on the ground there was a
1: whole wing that was built for nurses for nurses and, and doctors and, and which sadly we did not get to go into because they were storing haunted house decorations yeah, we'll get to in, that. in yeah. there but um they stayed right there on the property there were several hundred acres of farmland that were up there on the hill so they did i mean they did everything I mean, eventually, they discovered antibiotics, streptomycin, in in 1943, that would be a way to combat tuberculosis. It wasn't until 1949 that it would be available to the patients at Waverly. So, once that happened and they found that streptomycin would treat TB, obviously, the population of the diseased began to fall and decrease, which is a good thing, but... In 1961, Waverly Hills closed as a TB hospital. It sat vacant for about a year. And then it reopened in 1962 as Woodhaven Geriatric Center, which was a nursing home. home. Primarily, they treated patients that had dementia and mobility limits and and some uh, severely mentally handicapped individuals, too. But in 1982... Woodhaven was actually closed because a grand jury inspection found several patient abuse cases, and then then the property was kind of auctioned off, and it passed hands several times, and uh, eventually it was bought by Tina and Charlie Mattingly.
0: Right. Who owns it to this? Mattingly point.
1: still own it. So it That's a- kind of the like a brief history right. of the building itself.
0: So so let's go back there, Tessa and. 'Cause most of people's perspective of Waverly is that of watching Doctor Frankenstein. You know, you, you're walking into this gothic cathedral to be experimented on, to be tortured, to be killed.
1: Yeah, they're to gonna suffer. <laughs> they're gonna do they're gonna <clears throat> ice pick lobotomy your brain. Yeah.
0: Which Waverly was far from it.
1: They had an electroshock therapy room. They
0: had all your your experimental procedures.
1: They had electroshock therapy. They had, I think, they had hydrotherapy. They had
0: hydrotherapy. They had all, all of what people would view your sanatoriums as torturous. But, but
1: so many good things happened that kind of should overshadow that. Like, it, yeah, yes. it happened. They didn't use electroshock therapy because they were trying to torture. Somebody. Yeah, because yeah,
0: it was you know, because they, it was part of what in you know, archaic. Medicine, Can I say that? Yeah, well, I'll put it that way. Archaic medicine was believed to cure. I mean, you got to realize it's the 1900s, folks. It's a time period, again, that a lot of things are being discovered. And so a lot of people were experimented on. One of those experiments involved sticking a needle into the lungs and deflating the lungs and inflating the lungs. And that was because the team was trying to break up that infection.
1: We watched some documentaries and whatnot. And some people will maintain that that actually saved their lives. That actually
0: saved their lives.
1: There's a documentary, Mm -hmm. and if you guys get a chance to watch it, it's about this lady, and I cannot remember the name of it, but she is a survivor of TB, and she was in Waverly Hills when she was younger. And they get her to uh, come to the building as it is now, and she revisits her old room, and she talks about... All of the friends that she made and the, the relationships yep. and the people that she loved. And uh, she was there for several years. I
0: think she said five years, four yeah, or five years. Yeah, several
1: years. And they they did the procedure with the inflating of the lungs, um, putting the balloon in and inflating and deflating the lungs, collapsing the lungs. They would sometimes go in and do what's called a rib resection, which is when they remove part of the ribs in order to get access to the lung yeah, cavity. And to relieve the swelling. And they could insert like a balloon in to help sort of inflate and deflate. Sometimes they would go in and collapse the lung in order to give it a chance to rest.
0: A chance to rest, so, yep.
1: But she said, yes, of course it was painful getting poked by this huge needle, but she maintained that That's what it saved her, saved her, her life. life.
0: And it's sad because, you know, when you take the tour of Waverly, you know, you come across this one room. It's got flowers and stuff, and that was that lady's room. Was it her room? It was her For room. For sure? Yep. Because remember, at the end of that documentary, it showed, you know, it did a dedication to her and showed that room. A couple of the other treatments was, Tessa mentioned it earlier, was fresh air. And, you know, Waverly Hills was five stories with no windows on it whatsoever, and that's because the patients... Not on the porch part. Not on the porch part. Um, that's because the patients was pulled out in their beds to lay on these porches so that they could get fresh air, as much fresh air as possible. And they would do that as early as March, and then wouldn't get pulled back in to... As, Thanksgiving. To Thanksgiving, and there's literally pictures of them with snow piled on them. Now and
1: people are like, "Oh my gosh, that's so that's archaic. okay. It's that's so cool. How cold!
0: Well, of course it was cold. It was cold. But Waverly had an invention that most people didn't know existed at that time.
1: No hospital. Other, no other hospitals had them at the time. No
0: other hospitals had that time. It was called the electric blanket.
1: Mm, a good old heated blanket. I love a good heated blanket. I have yeah. one in my living room right now because Lord knows that I freeze.
0: So patients oh, have. I
1: found. I found this. It's called Living on the Porch. The Margaret Ball. B-A-U-G-H. Bar. Waverly Hills interview you know, so that's something that you guys can go watch it's would, from Steve Russell Video Productions and I would
0: highly recommend watching it because you learn so much about Waverly it's sad because you get to see some of the faces and stuff of people that was patients and stuff there but you learn a lot and, and Living she, she on teaches the porch. a lot
1: Living on the Porch the Margaret Bob B-A-U-G-H B-A-B-A-U-G-H, Waverly Hills interview that's on YouTube yep. and you should watch it and when, when you walk in and you see this, this massive stream Stretch of porch where these beds in each patient room had double doors and they would just pull them out onto the porch. Behind that set of rooms, there's a hallway. And then on the other side of that hallway, there's another set of patient rooms. And what's so sad is if your bed was pulled from the porch or from inside of your room across the hall to the rooms on the other side, you pretty much knew that you were kind of done for. It was the
0: same. It was... That was where they kept
1: the terminally ill patients. So it's just sad to think about, you know, if you're sitting there with your friend one day and her bed gets pulled, you know, to the other side of the hallway. Something that I found interesting, too, is that if somebody passed away, they oftentimes the patients wouldn't know it because they would put like a sign on their door that said they were they were unavailable or they were out or they weren't there at the moment or that they had that they had left or something and you never knew if they had went home because they got better or if they had died.
0: Yeah, and that was because of morale. Uh, morale was a huge factor too, because if you was if you was scared or worrying or stuff, you know, your body's not in the best condition. So I mean you could cause depression and whatnot and all that. So so if you knew I mean, you know, your older patients knew what was going on, but like your younger patients and stuff, you know, this was a way of keeping them around. If
1: you looked outside and you saw an endless train of bodies, like if you saw coroners pulling up and taking bodies away and hearses being loaded, yeah. it would be depressing.
0: That would be so destructive to your psyche, even though your psyche is already destroyed because you're trying to and fight you, this.
1: you had to fight it with everything that you had in you, yeah. even your brain, like I mean, positivity goes a long way in the healing process for anybody and anything. I think that's why I have been able to deal with my back for as long as I have because of keeping a good outlook on it and being positive. And
0: so. Well, even with COVID, I think with me, it was that positive outlook and just being surrounded by people that loved me. and, And I knew people loved me. And I had people that I actually knew medicine You know, my sister-in-law, we talk about it. You've heard her on the show a couple of times as a doctor, and my mother-in-law is an RN. And, you know, having that support really does help a whole lot. So,
1: And the people in Waverly, when they were admitted as patients, you would, uh, I mean, be with these these nurses and these doctors and the other patients 24-7. So they developed some wonderful friendships with each other. Right. and there are photographs of, I mean, young girls with their arms around each other or kids playing up on the roof, which is one of the most striking photos that I've one ever seen. the most seen. striking
0: photos. And, and especially when you're sitting there at 3 o'clock in the morning at that at that spot, comparing the photo to where you're standing, you can't help but the for the surrealism to smack you in the face.
1: I'm on KentuckyHistoricInstitutions.org right now. And they actually have an ongoing project. They're adding all of the death records that they can find of people Mm -hmm. that actually, they know for sure, passed away in Waverly Hills. There are no concrete records that existed in the hospital because, tell them why.
0: Well, it seems like they uh, hired a night guard. Um, Well, for one thing, when you walk into the main auditorium of Waverly, you can go and visit the uh, vault is what it is. And it's this big steel vault that closes and that's where all the medical records was kept. That's where all the patients records was kept. And this guard apparently had a potential for setting things on fire.
1: He really liked fire.
0: And so he go unfortunate. One of his first nights he literally set fire to this archive.
1: And just closed the door and and left. Just closed the
0: door and left. So and you gotta realize that this was every single patient photo in this (laughs) Yeah, all the records. All the records records were gone.
1: And so it's like an ongoing thing. That's why we can't tell you how many people actually died in Waverly. And,
0: that, and that's the reason if you come across a website that says 14,000 oh, no, people not. died. That's,
1: yeah, there's no way to prove how many people died without getting all of the records, which is an ongoing thing that they are doing. And I know that they so far have collected around ten to 11,000. thousand. Ten to 11,000, I think 000, yeah. that actually.
0: At, on that uh, documentary that you was talking about there just mm-hmm. a second ago, the guy that owns it, Talked about it. I think he said they had over 11,000
1: 11, death believe. certificates and but stuff. But I'm, I'm actually looking at deaths from 1911 through 1919, and there are pages and pages and pages of them. And some of it is just so depressing to look at. Like, here's a seven-year-old named Heyman Locks, and he died from pulmonary tuberculosis. Here is a one-month-old named Anthony Lee. And he passed away at Waverly. He's buried in Cave Hill Cemetery. A sixteen-year-old, a forty-eight-year-old. This disease knew no boundaries. It did not, and like it lists also race: white, black, white, black. It it knew no boundaries. It would you weren't protected. It could hit you if you were a child. It could hit you if you were a healthy adult.
0: One of the more interesting things about Waverly is because of this amount of death, the most famous feature was added to Waverly. And that was the death tunnel.
1: At first, it was a tunnel that they used for ventilation. Then they kind of figured out that they could bring supplies from the, because it runs from the hospital itself to the bottom of the hill. So they could load supplies in and bring them up through this tunnel. Then they figured out that staff could also use it to travel up and down the hill when they needed to out the tunnel. When people started passing away at this alarming rate and the morale of the patient started to fall, they realized that they could actually, instead of letting them see their friends and their, their loved ones, people they had grown to care about getting wheeled out, that they could put them on an elevator, take them straight down to the morgue, yep. and from the morgue, it's a pretty much a straight shot down the hallway straight to shot. this tunnel, and they could just lower the, there was a pulley system, they could lower the bodies down to the bottom of the hill and load them up and take them for burial.
0: Yep.
1: And it's the most infamous part just about when people talk about, oh, did you see the ghost investigation of Waverly Hills? That body shoot is so scary. So So if you've ever seen anything about that, then that's what that was used for.
0: And we're here to tell you that Waverly is so much more. Yes. So, <laughs> if, that's you can't, kind if you of, can't tell by now, we, Waverly is so much more.
1: <laughs> so, that was kind of the overview of what tuberculosis was.
0: What Waverly was. What
1: Waverly was, why it was necessary, the sanatorium movement, why it was necessary. Now we go into the paranormal portion well, of the podcast.
0: And, and before before we wrap that up is in like one of the things that just to give you perspective how large this hospital is when you come in the way that we come in, and we're on that second floor wing and you're looking at one end of the hallway, you can't see the other end of the hallway.
1: Right, and not just because it's dark, not just because, because it's, it's dark, huge,
0: because it's huge. And I firmly believed that if the moon wasn't out at its fullest of that night that we went. It would have been a whole lot scarier than what it was. The body
1: um, shoot is uh, 525 feet. 525 it's
0: feet. If the moon hadn't been out that night that we explored, it would have been a spookier time. I mean, it was a spooky time anyway, but now comes to the part that, like Tessa said, that you all want to hear. Hopefully, you want to hear.
1: Let me just go ahead and say this is the paranormal fanny pack portion of our show i have decided that that's what i'm gonna call anytime we yes. do paranormal stuff because i've done a lot of paranormal investigations we have
0: done a lot of paranormal investigations i
1: have scrambled to pull recorders out of pockets we and have cameras scrambled. cameras out of backpacks and things from i have she jacket has loaded pockets. so much
0: garbage onto me
1: that I can't. so i got a fanny pack and in that fanny pack, I had everything that I needed for the knot. I dubbed it the Paranormal Fanny Pack. And that's what we're <laughs> going to call these portions of the show. So, Josh, guess what? What? I'm unzipping my Paranormal Fanny Pack, and I'm going to tell you what's inside of it.
0: Awesome. Let me
1: tell you some things.
0: I'm so glad that she got to do that. I'm so glad that she got to I've been waiting for that. this
1: moment. This episode is also brought to you by Graceful Creations by Nicole. She does t-shirts, tumblers, mugs, you name it. She can customize it. And she can customize some pretty cool History Told by Idiots merch. Just saying.
0: Like any other good ghost investigations, these are our experiences. Don't go to Waverly. Don't spend the money to go to Waverly and be expecting the same things happen to you all. Because...
1: But let me interject, do spend the money to go to Waverly. Yeah,
0: do spend the money to go to Waverly.
1: It's amazing. But
0: don't expect the same things to happen to you. What me and Tessa are getting ready to explain. It's all subjective. (laughs) It's all subjective. It all just
1: depends on if Waverly
0: Waverly wants you to see anything. If she wants you to see something or wants you to hear something. So
1: initially we got to the building and it is the wildest thing to see this massive imposing structure in front of you and to know that every bit of it is supposed to be haunted all five
0: floors of it and and i'm just gonna go ahead and throw it out there when you go up that hillside the way that we went up even at eight o'clock at night in the fall we started crying because it was so imposing and we were so excited and it's
1: overwhelming and it's
0: overwhelmingly beautiful like In a haunting way. In a haunting way. If you are a fan of gothic revival architecture, then, I mean, there's no other place that you need to be at.
1: We got there, and... The first thing that we decided to do was look at the patient rooms on the second floor. After we were sort of given a general layout sort of tour of the area by Kool Aid, who is the most amazing God. He
0: is. He's, he's one of even amazing in
1: contact with us now, yeah. even after, and he answers any kind of questions that we have. So. He is uh, super nice, and I hope that if you go on a tour of Waverly, whether it is a paranormal investigation or, or. if you're not into this, you can also take a historic tour of Waverly, and that just fasc- it fascinates me. For example, Kool-Aid took us into a room where there was this huge, wooden, weird-looking table in the middle of the room, and we had wandered into this room before without him and didn't have a clue what it was but he he was very excited and took us back and he said this we had just unveiled this room this is where the medicines were compounded for this was like the pharmacy and so here was this huge original table that the pharmacists i can just see them in my head standing here compounding these drugs desperately trying to find something that will cure these people or at least yep. ease their pain and uh, all these cabinets that are original to the building yeah. where everything was stored. It's like you could just see the people, the workers, you could feel the emotion of the place.
0: You can. And I don't think that was the mysticism of the place.
1: For us, that was part of the appeal
0: of you know, the appeal because me and Tessa, you know, we obviously, if you stuck with us this long, you know, we have such a love for history. And I think that was more of the appeal for me and Tessa. I know for me, it was because I was more there for the history than I was the paranormal.
1: I was there for a healthy mix of both.
0: I guess I guess I was there for <laughs> their both. You're on the first floor at this time.
1: <laughs> so I had agendas when we went into Waverly. Yeah. The first thing that they told us, Kool-Aid told us about something called the Creeper. <laughs> okay. The Creeper is this entity. He's a shadowy figure that can crawl up the walls and on the ceiling and kind of everywhere. He can kind of go anywhere and everywhere. And Kool-Aid told us if he comes at you, like he comes at you, don't make eye contact with him and don't acknowledge that he's there. Listen, if a black shape rushes yeah. at me, the first thing I'm going to do is, is look at it Yeah, and, and, and freak out, and probably. Espe- and
0: especially if you don't have a lot, you're literally in darkness that you can't see your hand in front of your face. If something
1: rushes at me, it gets in my face. I'm going to look at it. At the beginning of the night, we were like, well, I, I, I want to see everything and experience everything except for that. So I,
0: the, no creeper, please. We, no creeper. we can quote that because that's ever since we started clock going up the hill, that's what I was saying. I said, if this that damn thing comes in front of me. We don't want the creeper. We don't want this. So just
1: take that knowledge just and put it on the knowledge. back burner yeah. for a minute.
0: Yeah, if some, you follow us on Instagram, you know what's coming. But <laughs>
1: Some of the things that we experienced a lot of noises that I can't explain. The building is haunted by the spirit of a man that died around the elevator shaft or in the elevator shaft and his dog was with him and the dog kind of went and laid with him and also perished. So they say that the spirit of both the man and the dog hang around Waverly Hills. So can confirm about the dog. Yes. Because the entire night we heard this dog barking but it was not like a normal dog bark. It was almost like distorted or yeah. warped.
0: Well, to, to me, it was, you know, like Tessa said, we could hear dogs barking because there was apartment buildings right off the uh,
1: Yeah, you could hear down, dogs, down like hill. actual live dogs and, barking.
0: And it seemed like every time that those dogs was bark, you would hear this response from this distorted dog. Bark! That the way that I explained it, the way that I experienced it was—it sounded like it was coming through a broken speaker. Right. Was a broken amplifier. I agree,
1: about I, I agree with that. And so, some friends of ours actually captured a photo of this dog, and it's poking its head around the corner in one of the hallways, and you can see its I mean, nose it, it's and its clear, eyes. It's it the, is the is clearest the capture clearest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, is the clearest thing. Um, And I will post that for you guys to see after this episode comes out because it is pretty wild. So we did experience that. We experienced a lot of voices, a lot lot of of footsteps. A lot of voices. It's it's really strange because if you are an investigator and you've done a lot of investigations, you may get really excited because you hear footsteps behind you or you may get really excited because you hear a whisper or a voice. In Waverly Hills... There was so much of that going on that it became commonplace. It did. You got
0: it used did. to it. It's just so weird. Tessa summed it up the best, I guess. And you know, usually like when we investigate the library or we've investigated the sheriff's office, it's so startling. I guess because we was young then, but like you said at Waverly, it's such you a common used you it. just get used to it. And then you find yourself in the middle of the night talking to something.
1: (laughs) Pretty much one of the coolest places that we visited while we were in Waverly. I knew from the second that we decided that we were for sure gonna go that I was gonna go into the morgue and I was gonna lay in in the body tray. Like in the the storage where they put the bodies. And everybody was like, oh, my gosh, no, you can't do that. You're oh, so my stupid. gosh, You're why so would you morbid. do that? Yeah. Well, I did it. Like, uh, that was the first thing that right. I did it was when we got into yeah. the morgue. can confirm. We did a spirit box session that we didn't really get any much of any response from. Um, This was the beginning of the night. Sometimes it takes a while for things to warm up, but you could definitely tell there was a presence in there with us. At one point, there were, I think, too many of us in the room. When Josh and I were in there alone, I crawled into the container where they would put your body, if they were storing it, the little cooler. I crawled in and I laid down, turned my light off, and... If you watch all of these these paranormal shows where people go in, they're like, oh, I feel a presence. Something is pushing on me. Something's sitting on my chest. And I guess the experience is different for every person. Kool-Aid told us, for example, about one woman that was in the container area and that something scared her so badly that she was balled up in the main back corner of it and they had to physically pull her out. With me, I was so chill.
0: Mm-hmm. I could
1: have slipped in she that was. body container. I could have slipped in the cooler.
0: Yeah, and this is the morgue. You got to realize this is the, well, they had operating tables there.
1: They did. timepiece
0: operating tables.
1: They did not have to do a lot of autopsies at Waverly Yeah, Hills. they did not have to do a lot of autopsies. If you died of consumption or of TB, then they knew what killed you. But if you died unexpectedly of something else, they would have to autopsy you. But they did not have to do an autopsy yeah. on every body that came through.
0: And, and like, when she Which says... Which is why
1: they only had two coolers.
0: Three. It was stacked. Three. It was stacked on top. Yep.
1: As this was happening, Josh, because he is...
0: Yeah, and when I say that, when you watch all these paranormal shows and stuff like this, and they're freaking out because of the morgue, I was at home at the morgue. Like, literally, I when I tell people this story... I could have stayed there all night long. It was peaceful. And stayed sitting in the corner because I was really wanting to go into the body shoot too. But while we was there, I picked up on a presence. A lot of people know I'm a Mason. I first started asking stuff off with Masonic stuff, you know, because this would have been the time period. But then I started asking a lot of things about, about mortuary because my school literally is across the river from Louisville. And I started asking a lot of mortuary schools, you know, what was your favorite incisions or what's your favorite suture? What's your preferred method of embalming? And, and, you know, all this all this stuff that they would have known. This piece come over top of me like one of my professors was standing in front of me talking to me. That sounds weird, but it's what happens. Tessa finally comes out of the, the morgue. I mean, we was there for almost, what, 40 minutes, 45 yeah, minutes 45 or something? 45 minutes or so. She's like, okay, we need to go to the death shoot. And I was like, okay. And so I helped her out whatnot, and I'm telling her about what I'm hearing and what I'm feeling. And as we are walking out of the morgue, I have my windbreaker on. I have a uh, New Orleans Saints windbreaker on, and something literally grabs hold of that top of that windbreaker and pulls me back. It's not a hard pull. It's not anything, but it's enough to get my attention. And to me, that was the most emotional that I had felt that night because I feel like I needed to be there. Whoever the spirit was... They didn't want us to leave. They didn't want us to leave that area. And I felt like it was either a doctor or a mortician. It was like
1: they understood each other. The,
0: it was like they understood. And when that tug happens, this just feeling of, how can I explain it? I can't explain it. Of relief.
1: It was sad. Yeah. Because they didn't, it was like, oh, somebody understands me.
0: Somebody understands Somebody us, understands me. It's they're not here to try to provoke us. They're actually here to have a conversation with us. Please stay. It was sad and it made me feel wanted.
1: At this point, I was actually going live on Instagram. Yeah. And the video is still there. So I'm going live. I didn't know this happened. And he's like frantically pointing at me, like, get hut. Get it. Yeah. And I was like, What the crap? What 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 what? And he was like, Get the camera! Get the camera! Get the camera. So I'm trying to record uh, like be all like, hey guys, this is history told by idiots on the Instagram. <laughs> all professional
0: and in Josh the background I'm going, hi, hey,
1: hi. Hey, hey. Josh <laughs> is like absolutely freaking out. So um I pulled the camera out and started taking photos and it's that video is funny because is funny. that's ghost hunting like that's a prime example of how it, it is. is with us. But we it's a totally so real excited. reaction
0: though. And I will tell you that it's not scripted. No. <laughs> it's a total real reaction. And you know, that set, the, that set the tone for the rest of the night for me and Tessa. And me and Tessa went off by ourselves, uh, like we said we was going to. That just set the tone for the rest of the night.
1: So, and something that we do want to stress, too, is that everybody's like, it's the scariest place. But there's so many spirits. For us, it just felt like people. I mean, for the most part, it just felt like these people that were there. And they wanted to be seen and heard. They wanted to communicate with you, for the most part. There were parts of it that felt scary, you know, but it wasn't like I thought it was going to be.
0: Right. Peaceful
1: in a lot of places. And,
0: and that, and that's the problem I have with searching it on YouTube or any other platform or whatever. You know, everybody, it's all scripted. Certain things are scripted, I should say, and I'm not going to name names or nothing like that or nothing. You know what I'm talking about. But, like, if you go in with a genuine interest... I think she picks up on that. I think the building picks up on that. And again, she lets you know if you go
1: in expecting to be scared. If you go in and you ask questions and you try to interact with these spirits, and then you freak out because you actually get an answer and you run away scared and you're freaking out.
0: That's stupid. I mean, that's just that's straight. It's st- just stupidiousness. I mean. That's not a real word. That's not a real That's word. Totally not a real yeah, word. But you get where we're going. You get where I'm going at.
1: So my advice is, if you're ever going to go on a paranormal investigation, if you go in and you ask questions, expect for something to respond. Expect for Don't something. Don't just yeah. sit there and think that it's not going to happen, because then when it does, you're going to be
0: terrified. Right. Especially so. since you pay the amount of money that to go take these tours and take these paranormal investigations, you want something to happen. You want
1: something to happen, you want something but to happen. you want to be able to react cool, calm, and collected yeah. about it, which is not what happened to us when we went into the body shoot. No, it's a good segue. No, so, and,
0: and and what I got to add to that segue is is what my famous saying is, and uh, when I tell young paranormal investigators is that you got to remember, if you stare into the darkness, the darkness is going to stare back. That is a good segue.
1: We headed down the hallway. Into the body chute. As soon as you step into the body chute proper, it's in it's sort of, you go through these double doors into this hallway. You immediately sort of start going downhill because the body shoot is underground. It's
0: underground. Six feet underground, as a matter of fact.
1: At the, at, yeah, you're six feet underground. As you go, like when you first go into the door, pretty much. And then it travels down it's around five hundred feet. It's close. But uh yeah, they had to collapse the tunnel because of people coming in and vandalizing. But I digress. You go into this tunnel, it's complete darkness. Your voice is echoing. Every sound that's made sounds a million times larger than it is
0: mm-hmm.
1: but we weren't scared or anything like that I, I was excited to be there because you know it's legendary the body shoot the
0: body shoot yeah
1: so of course we're like oh well we're gonna go into it so many famous paranormal let's go down into the we're not <laughs> just gonna stand here at the top let's go into yeah, it
0: yeah let's be big brave dogs and' let's go we down.
1: were big brave dogs and we went into the tunnel into the chute about halfway down because I have a plastic leg and I just it just couldn't do it so we go about halfway down and I decide that I'm going to sit and so we sit we sit and we listen and And it doesn't it does not take long for things to start happening at first it was like little like little tiny rocks being thrown is what it sounded like down at the bottom of the tunnel, it was like things were being thrown. I have audio recordings where you can hear these like loud bangs coming from down at the bottom of the tunnel. So then, of course, I start asking questions. We do a spirit box session. And in the in the spirit box session, it was really strange. A spirit box works by taking radio frequencies and it plays through them really, really, really fast. And it's sort of like the spirit is supposed to be able to communicate through this uh, by using the radio frequencies. So I asked a lot of questions. I didn't get very I didn't get any answers for the longest time and then I asked why do you stay down here and it said Alice. So it gave me the name Alice. I have no idea who Alice is if Alice was <laughs> The person that was communicating with us, if Alice was one of the people that unfortunately got lowered down that tunnel after her death. Right. But in the midst of all this, while this is happening, Josh is sitting behind me a few steps up. And at the top of the stairs, firstly of all, let me back up and say, Josh heard my voice coming from the top of the tunnel when I wasn't speaking. So that's, that's freaky. And he even tells me, I just heard you speak from behind me up at the top of the tunnel. Yep.
0: It and was. I was I mean, like, it was, it oh, was f-
1: you know, you, you didn't. You just think you did. You, no. You thought you heard no, this. No, it
0: was. It was.
1: And very shortly after that, things started moving up there at the top of the tunnel. You tell.
0: Yeah. And the way that I describe it was is. You know, I had my back turned for one thing. And <laughs> the back up a little bit, the tunnel is so unique that it, it it's interesting because when it was built, it was built at a forty-five degree angle. And when you're on one of the steps, you're literally leaning at a forty-five degree angle, standing straight up. That's one of the cool things I think about it.
1: Yeah, you're leaning downwards. <laughs> it's you're leaning forward even though you're standing
0: straight. Yeah, you're leaning forward even though you're standing up straight at a forty-five degree angle. But, so needless to say, if you don't have strong legs or strong feet or anything, or and strong I, knees. And I
1: don't have either of those things.
0: It's so. going to be rough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, from the back, you know, I have my back turning. I'm staring at Tessa. You know, from the top, we start hearing, I'd say me and Tessa went probably about 300 feet in.
1: Yeah, probably. Was, is that safe probably to say? Probably about, that about many 300
0: you went 300 feet, feet in. And... From the top, man, we just started hearing this wild commotion. And the only way that I could explain it was, is, is my, is my five-year-old nephew throwing a tantrum, it sounded like he was throwing, it sounded like it was throwing rocks and there was metal barrels up there and it was hitting like it the metal barrels. kicking its and, feet and,
1: against the metal barrels yeah, and flailing and against the
0: wall. Flailing against the wall, shuffling its feet. And so I was like, no, I'm definitely going to turn back around to Tesla because whatever that was. I thought it was an, uh, another other team members. Right, and in uh, the yeah.
1: midst of this, I have an au- I have audio of I ask, "Can you make a noise?" And as soon as I say, "Can you make a noise?" It was a direct response. In direct response, yeah. and it is the strangest noise because it sounds like rocks being thrown, but yep. it's it has a musical quality to Be, it because i think like a
0: musical tone uh, to it we've we've got it on audio because you, you specifically hear tessa can you make a noise and in the top in the top of the shoot you hear banging and rocks throwing it's like
1: and it's like the strangest noise yeah and josh says was that the other team that just just came in did the door just open and i was like i don't think so so we sat there and we listened to this entity throwing a fit against the metal barrel and the wall and flailing and throwing stuff. And when it finally calms, we decide to walk back up the Mm -hmm. tunnel. So we get to the top of the tunnel. Everything looks fine, feels fine, seems fine. And we're walking toward the, the double door that goes back into the hospital proper. When the double door decides to open and by s- itself
0: and slam by itself. by itself
1: and then repeatedly open very it was so strange because i can't chalk it up to wind because we were because you're
0: six feet we're underground. Kind of underground you're underground
1: but i can't chalk it up to wind because wind would make it have the same pattern it would open slowly and then slam and then it would open very forcefully and then it would close back really slow. It would open halfway and then close back. So we sat there in complete and total awe because w- whatever this was, yeah. was manipulating this door to open and close it in front of us. It was like it was saying, I'm here. Right. I'm and, here. You got, and you got
0: to realize that when we intend to tell you this story, we've, by this point, we've investigated at least 20 different spots.
1: And we don't get scared.
0: And we don't get scared easy. And none of the spots that we've ever we've ever investigated, this, this not, this a f-
1: not a physical manipulation not of a physical an object. Manipulation. Like I've had things happen at work. Um, our spirit little boy tries to open my office door all the time, right. and I hear it, but I, I never have really seen something physically open a door or. Move something except for a ball a couple of times, but never yep. a door. Never a door. And so this is happening, and we're just looking at it in awe. And I take my camera. This is a, a tip from the paranormal fanny pack. <sniffs> if you take photos on an investigation, you always take multiple of the same shot because you can compare things that are there and not there between mm-hmm. the two. And I usually take three. So I hold up my camera, and start taking photos. Then, from behind us, back in the tunnel, in the body chute, in the body chute. And, and let me explain this, too. The body chute, the way that the steps go, it goes one, two, three, and then there's a small landing. One, two, three, and then a small landing. And this, was, and on the small landing, you have to take two steps.
0: Right, and this was by design, because, again, it's 45-degree angle. And if you're a doctor or a nurse coming from the bottom up, these flats were designed so you could stop and rest.
1: So one, two, three, and then a little rest area all the way down. So we start hearing footsteps that kind of go one, two, three, shuffle, 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 one, two, three, shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. So at the same time, but the door is opening. Now there's sounds behind us. So we're standing there looking, where do we look? At this side or
0: this side? In a swirl of paranormal activity. Because by this time we were just like, oh, yeah, like she said, we, do I we was look? like, oh my look?
1: God. And Josh was recording on the video camera, and then all of a sudden, from behind us, it's like it made it to the top of the stairs, and then it just burst loose. There was plastic hanging in there from construction in the hallway. It, it moved so fast that the plastic billowed out, and you could hear it making its own wind, right? Yep. Yep. And this is not wind because it's underground, it was moving so fast that it made its own wind strong enough to blow the plastic back. It runs into the metal barrels. It runs into the walls. We don't actually see the entity yeah, because we,
0: we take off running. Yeah, like Tessa is 5'11". She's a foot taller or an inch taller than I am. Foot taller. <laughs> foot taller than you are. Jesus. Yeah. And it's like... I'm an
1: Amazonian woman. Yeah.
0: I jump over top of her. Like, I'm in the back and I literally sprint. I don't really do it, but it feels like I'm, ju- I'm I've jumped so high and I take off running. <laughs> he,
1: he grabbed me by the arm and physically pulled me because yeah. I was standing there dumbstruck. And
0: yeah.
1: he pulls me out, and I stop and I'm trying to look, but then the door is moving, and so we we kind of had a freakout moment, and and we don't do that. Like I don't do that, but we got out into the hallway. And sort of closed the door, and we're standing there, just trying to calm down. down. And I'm like, did you get that on video? And he's like, yeah, I was recording the entire time. He hands me the camera, and I look.
0: (laughs) Guess what?
1: He was not recording the entire time. He forgot to push the record button.
0: And it's not because I was an idiot. It was because when you're caught up. In the heat of the moment. When you're in the heat of the moment. (laughs) So, of course, I'm like, we have to go back.
1: Yep. And he's like, no, we don't have to go back. We don't, it's like, Tessa, you just experienced
0: this. There's
1: something that don't want us in there. And we're. I was like, I don't care. I'm going back.
0: And so, so I did what all the good husbands do. All
1: right. <laughs> but unfortunately, we did not experience did anything. Not experience. It's like uh, it, there was some noise when we went in, and I turned the camera on, and it was like,
0: uh-uh. uh uh-uh, no, so, Not this
1: time. Uh to make this, this portion a long story short, I started looking through the camera roll. And when the door started opening and closing, before we got rushed, I took this picture. And in the first picture, there's nothing. You can just see the door in and the hallway. you
0: you've posted it on an And in program. the
1: second picture, there is a thing. And it is a black mass that is humanoid in shape. Almost looks like it's adhering itself to the wall or trying to stick to the wall or going to the wall. I can't explain it. I still can't explain it. still can't explain it. But in the beginning of the night, Josh said the one thing we did not want to do was encounter the creeper, and by golly, we encountered the creeper all right, and he sure did creep me out, because I'm pretty convinced that's what we experienced, was the creeper.
0: Oh, 100%. 100%. Because just that second picture that she took there's i mean there's just
1: there's no explanation there's no explanation
0: for it. it is humanoid in shape but once you zoom in on it, it you can definitely see a head and you could definitely see some kind of
1: basically it's human it, shaped. basically it's, it's human it's shaped. human shaped
0: the crazy thing about this situation is he haunts all five floors so it's like you can't escape it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And nobody else experienced it. Nobody else experienced I, it. I firmly believe it's because we went in and we were like, we do not want to see the creeper. Yeah. We do I, not.
0: I do. And it was like, I will show you. I will show you. And Marvel was like, I will show you what I've got hidden. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he lurks. Yeah. So he, he lurked right upon us. But that, that happened. That was the biggest experience that we had the portions of the hospital that are rumored to be the, the most haunted besides the body shoot and the morgue, which are sort of cliche. Um, in my opinion, you know, Oh, the morgue is haunted because of all the bodies that it's not, it is haunted. It's definitely haunted, but it was not haunted in, in a negative way for us. I digress. The most haunted places supposedly are room 502 on the fifth floor the story of what happened with the tragedy of the nurse in room 502 varies from who tells it.
0: Again, the and records was destroyed. We
1: know that she died, but we don't know specifics of why she killed herself. She did commit suicide. It was in room 502. Mm-hmm. There's rumors that she had a baby and that she killed the baby. There's rumors that she, had, she was pregnant and lost the baby. There's rumors... That she was still pregnant whenever she yeah. died. There's nothing that we can prove this with. We just know that she died. She is supposedly, this nurse haunts room 502, which is also the floor where the children would, would hang out and play, and the chil- the children's ward, you could say. Here's my thoughts about the children's ward. It was really sad. Room 502 did not feel any different to me than the rest of the
0: hospital. And we went all, all the way through it. I, I didn't
1: feel anything that scared me in room 502. I didn't feel much of a presence. And again, that could be because sometimes Waverly shows you what she wants you to see. Yep. I think that maybe we got our experience of the night with the creeper.
0: But, well, me and man, Tessa explain it too is again, experience varies. That once we got to the fifth floor, again, we could have stayed on that long. I could have, if it wasn't thirty degrees outside. I could have crawled up in the corner and a Oh, it was so cold,
1: so cold. So I do something that's called dowsing. In Appalachian tradition, old timers would use dowsing rods, which are usually two metal sticks, two copper. They're made of copper usually. Two sticks made of copper. the The old timers would use tree branches mm-hmm. and straight sticks or uh, sticks with a with a fork, and they would use these dowsing rods to divine water to find water and so um, dowsing has been like you know you can't say proved or disproven but dowsing is a tool that some ghost hunters use to try and communicate with spirits it's sort of a thing where you either get it or you don't and i am pretty gifted with it and so i think it's the red hair
0: Yeah. Miss the witchy hair. Yeah.
1: But um, I had a really good dowsing session upstairs in the children's ward where I talked to eight or nine children in a group. Basically, the consensus was that they were sick, yes, but that they enjoyed being with each other and that they were happy that we were there and they wanted to play. The entire fifth floor is littered with toys that people bring when they come in for the kids to play with. So I doused in there for a long time and I felt very much at peace. It was sad knowing that these kids were here and that they had to spend so much of their existence here in this hospital and that a lot of them never left. But it was still, it was peaceful. Down in the surgical suite on floor four in the surgery, we did a dowsing session there also because we took a ball and we laid this ball In the middle of the floor. This video is also on our Instagram. And we asked the spirit to move the ball. And by golly, the spirit moved the ball. Continuously.
0: Again, the video's on Instagram.
1: We stood there. uh, We stood in a a huddle around it and blocked the path of the wind to make sure that it was not wind. But it would stop. And then you would ask if they could move the ball again. And then it would move again. And so we also decided that I should douse there. So I doused there. And um, it said there were eight spirits in the room with us, that some of them were staff, some of them were patients that were grown, and some of them were patients that were children. I mean, it was just like they were happy that we were acknowledging that they existed and that they wanted to talk and let their voices be heard.
0: Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And there was...
1: We have EVPs. I mean, we have so many EVPs that we could share. I think I have like 14 that I clipped that were really good from our audio. And some of them are from that room. And there's very odd things that happen. Like the sound of an old school telephone ringing yep. is the only way that I can describe it. Like you would hear a telephone in in a hospital, you know, ringing at a nurse's station We clipped that. I I have the audio of that. I can share that. There were knocks and bangs and booms and all sorts of stuff that happened at this point. We investigated this hospital from top to bottom. We did something on every floor. We got creeped out by the creeper. We got peaceful reactions and, and feelings of please don't go from many places To close it, really, to close it out of how we feel about Waverly Hills, is it haunted? Oh. Oh,
0: absolutely. 100%. Absolutely.
1: 100%. Is there anything there that wants to scare you? Yes. But there are also people there that are just people, and they want their voices and their stories to be heard. And that's part of what we do in History Told by Idiots is we want to tell the stories for the people that are voiceless, for the people that these tragedies happened to. And that's what drove us to do this episode today is to tell you yep. that this happened and that these people, their spirits are are still there. You know, if you're a believer in the paranormal, I highly encourage you to go check this place out, yep. to go check out Waverly.
0: Again, not just the paranormal. The historical aspect of it. If you are a history lover. If you're a history lover, once we packed up, got in our car, the moment that I turned the engine on, we felt sad because we didn't want to go. It, could have spent
1: eight hours more.
0: We could've spent eight hours more the and lobby. How, and how and the lobby and how many didn't go out that door. Right. Didn't get to leave that door.
1: So, and it's it's amazing. To sit there and think of how far we have advanced in, in medicine, yes, how far we have advanced in society. The doctors, that these scientists and researchers were able to find something to cure this disease. It right. just—it's amazing to me. And, and
0: it's because of Waverly that they was able to do this, and those other hospitals, just the effort of all of them combined together that this disease has been. It's not been defeated. And that going back to the main beginning of the episode, it's one of the diseases that humankind can't conquer. You know, we conquered smallpox. We conquered measles. We conquered, we, we conquered all these, but we just can't conquer tuberculosis because there's still areas of the world that we can't get a vaccination But we to.
1: can treat it. But, but we, can, we can treat it. But and, we can treat um, it. And we can vaccinate against it. And, you know, it not to get political because we don't, we don't get political on this show, but this is what I would like to sort of stress and communicate is that at one point the world looked totally hopeless because of this disease. The world was, Mm -hmm. was facing this and seeing people die left and right. And it looked like there was just absolutely no hope, but because people banded together and they helped each other and they did what they were supposed to do. And they took care of each other. When humanity takes care of each other, they found something to treat it. Be kind. That's my message. That's Josh's message. That's the message of the show. Just be kind to each other and try to support each other because we're all in a hard time right now. But we can overcome it if we work together and we just love each other. Just love each other, folks. That's what it comes down to. Just love each other. We love y'all. <laughs> love history.
0: <laughs> love, uh, Gothic architecture.
1: And love your libraries. <laughs> and, and love, love yourself. <laughs> this episode is
0: also brought to you by Eddie Cooper. This is a local advertisement. Eddie Cooper is running for judge executive for this year's cycle election for the Letcher county area. He is very knowledgeable in what needs to be done for our county. He is, Really stands for the people, and he is really involved with keeping local history alive. That's Eddie Cooper for the judge executive position. He's a
1: supporter of the show, and so we support our supporters.